Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Jeff Adoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in KC and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valerio and I talk about Neil Smith, a bit of a forgotten player. You know, Joe, Smith is someone all Chiefs fans should really know about, but younger fans may not. He was really the best defensive end in the game for a stretch. Oh, definitely, Jeff. And, you know, what Neil was, too, not to take anything away from his own personal attributes and accolades, but Neil was that defensive end that when you focused on the other side of the rush, and for us, the example was the Chiefs. I mean, it was Derek Thomas, of course, with the Chiefs, right? So when you double-teamed Derek or you tried to chip a back with Derek because he was such a dominant speed pass bull rusher, like he had all the moves, you then opened up one-on-ones with Neil Smith and, you know, Neil Smith going against the right tackle on the offensive line. So, you know, Neil was one of those amazing complimentary rushers that always made a Derek Thomas or, you know, a Reggie White, for example, back if you go back to that same era with the Chiefs, right? Clyde Simmons for the Eagles was a lot like Neil in that when you tried to double team you know, Derek, or you tried to double team a Reggie White, it left the right side of the line or whatever side that person wasn't rushing on made it very uh, vulnerable. And that's what, and that's what really Neil took advantage of. And, you know, you look back to that defensive line, my gosh, I mean, Joe, Joe Phillips, Dan Salamua, uh, Greg Cragen, right. Came over from the Broncos. You had Derek, right. As your, as your, you know, linebacker slash speed pass rusher, right? So it, it was, it was, it, you know, Neil fell into a really, really great uh, situation, I think, with, with, um, with having that, that real good push on the middle of the line with the Joe Phillips and the, the Dan Salamuas of the world. And then you have, you had DT, right? Probably one of the, the greatest pass rushers, if not of all time, you know, definitely of that era, you know, he generational type pass rusher. Um, it really set Neil up for a lot of success, and he took advantage of it. And Neil was really – he was quite good against the run as well. Neil had a, had a very unique build. He was not as big in the trunk um, as like a Reggie White, who, you know, Reggie was thick from the t- his toes all the way up to his neck. I mean, he was, he was, he was hard to move. Uh, Neil was definitely more of a finesse defensive end, um, although he was very stout against the run, he wasn't, um, you know, his, definitely his specialty was, was getting a lot of, you know, helping with the pass rush and, and providing a lot. He was, he had some really, really good moves. He was, you know, he was really, really tough to block. Um, and, and, and plus I gotta, I gotta be honest, Jeff, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say probably one of the nicest players that I played with um, as far as just a gentleman on off the field, you know, what he did in the community, um, the way that he, he treated fans and everybody who, you know, worked at the field, worked at the stadium, worked in the organization. 
he was just, you know, he was just one of those guys that, you know, every time he would see my wife, he'd always, he knew her name, you know, he'd be like, Hey, Jennifer, how you doing? How's things going? You know, like he just was one of those guys. He was just, he was just such a, such a good person. Um, I, I, you know, he was, he was an absolute joy to, to play with. And I, I was always glad he was on our side of the ball. Cause I, he's not a guy I would have wanted to block week in and week out, <laughs> you know, as an opponent for sure. Yeah, and we're going to get a little bit more into what he was like to to block. Joe, I really love the Clyde Simmons comp too. Um, and, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, nine years with the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you look at his numbers, uh, starting his third year in 1995, nine and a half sacks, eight sacks, 14 and a half. Uh, then an NFL best 15 sacks in 93, 11 and a half, and then 12 sacks. So this – again, this is a – uh, a great player in franchise history. And, and that's what makes it fun to talk about these kind of things with a former player like Joe, especially during kind of the slow time of year. Last year, we had a lot of fun talking about Derek Thomas, who we'll talk about again in connection with uh, Neil and Deron Cherry and, and some players that maybe just younger fans may not realize how great they were. So we're going to obviously get more into Neil, more into Derek. But first, a word from our sponsor. The month of June is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action, and Bet Online is where you can find it. From basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip off, face-off, or pitch, head over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Joe, you were just saying how you were very glad that, that Neil Smith was on your team, uh, but I'm sure you, a lot of practices you had to go up against him. Uh, what was that like to, to, to block him? And do you have any like specific memories, whether it was a training camp or a regular season practice or something? Yeah, I mean, he, you know, Neil was um, obviously what we always loved was the celebration, right? I, y- you got to talk about the George, the homage yeah. to George Brett, right? right? And every time he would take the home run swing, you know, when he would get a sack, uh, you know, Neil was not a trash talker, uh, but he was a talker on the field. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't going to make you feel or get you worked up from an anger perspective, but he was definitely, he loved to talk on the field and he loved to, you know, when he was lining up, he'd, you know, he'd be asking you questions, you know, what do you think I'm going to do here? How you, am I going to bull rush you? Am I going to, am I going to spin? Am I going to slap your hands? Like he, he loved to like tell you what he was going to do. And he wasn't like trash talking you, making you feel like, you know, you, you were, you know, uh, you know, you were less of a person, but, you know, and, and kind of bad mouthing you. He just loved to talk, talk. And that was, that's what I always, he just was like always, he was having a conversation. It was it's like, like he was having a like conversation. Yeah. It was like not your typical, you know, jabbering, you know, where players, you'll see them get in each other's faces and they'll be, you know, look angry at each other or whatever. But he was just one of those players that just chat. He loved to chat on the field. Yeah, were there chat. other, I mean, was that very unique or do you remember other guys who just weren't trash talking, but just like to chat? 
that the line was oh, the, the Vikings, John Randall, um, <laughs> and uh, he had a motor. Chris <laughs> Dolman, God rest his soul, you know, passed away uh, too way too early. Uh, you know, he was a guy that I'll never forget. You know, he asked me one time when he he we were playing against the Vikings and. Um, he, he beat me for a sack and, uh, you know, he got around me, you know, and, and it happens, right? If, if, if you're not letting up sacks, it means you're not playing. Um, so he, he got around me and, you know, he kind of asked me like, oh, you, uh, you went to Penn, right? Not Penn State. Like he knew I went to school and everything. <laughs> and Chris Dolman said, yeah, I bet, I bet all, your, uh, I bet all your, your buddies back in college are saying you went to Penn State now, you know, not Penn, you know, all your fraternity friends. And I was like, oh, man, like he – that was like a dig, you know, like getting <laughs> under your skin. But he, he was a chatter. He loved to chat and talk. And, you know, there was a lot of players like that. But then there were, there were players that I don't think ever said a word. You know, Howie Long was one of those players. Uh, he did not really talk on the field. Um, he was, you know, he just went about his business and, you know, he did his thing. Uh, Leslie O'Neill uh, was another legend back then for the Chargers back in the nine, late 80s, 90s. Um, he was not a talker. Um, you know, Dan Salamua was a chat. Oh, man, nobody talked more than Dan. He was always saying something, talk, asking how everybody was doing and, you know, how you doing? Like he, and he had like pleasant conversation with people, even opponents, you know, he'd be like, Hey, that's say, I like the way your socks look, you know, or Hey, you know, yeah. I mean, he was always just talking to people about, you know, things on the field, like family, friends, you know, what they were, what are you going to do tonight? You know, like it just was like, he was, he was a piece of work. Um, yeah, but but Neil was uh, Neil was one of a kind. I mean, one of my favorite Neil memories you were you were saying about memories was when we went down to play New Orleans, in in uh, in Louisiana, and you know Neil was from from that area, and his mom uh, the night before the game, you know Marty let us go and have uh, dinner at at Neil's if we wanted to, right? Because we we usually had about two hours by the time we landed in the city and checked into our hotel and before. Uh, special teams meetings on, on um, Saturday nights, we had about two, two to two and a half hours to, to kind of be out on our own uh, before we needed to be back for, at the hotel for meetings, evening meetings. And then we would have a snack as a team and then we would go to bed, right? Curfew at like 10. And uh, Neil's mom put together a spread of Southern cooking. Now, you know, you got to remember, I hadn't really spent a whole lot of time in the South and, um, you know, being from Philly and, you know, growing up in an Italian family and things like that, I didn't really have a, a great exposure to, to Southern cooking. And I'll never forget that spread that Neil's mom put together for us. I'm telling you, Jeff, I fell in love with Southern cooking. And, and Neil was so proud of his mom and what she did for the team that night. And uh, it was really, really cool. And, and, you know, and not, so, not surprised that he, there would be that kind of delicious food from that region you know he used to own uh copeland's restaurant some some listeners may remember uh with that kind of new orleans style food it has su since closed but like uh yeah he owned it he i mean he obviously loved and and really knew that cuisine yeah he, he and it was i'm telling you it was great and he you know he was so proud like i said of his mom and what she did for the team and and it was so fun and you know it, to me that was the joy of you know of being part of a team where you where there was diversity of culture and mm -hmm. ethnicity and race and religion and all those things that are so great about team sports right that our society needs to mirror and the acceptance and the appreciation of our cultural backgrounds and the things that that we, we where we came from and where we were going and all those things that 
that means something. And, and it was just one of those eye-opening experiences for me as a young, young guy, you know, not like having spent much time in the South, been exposed to Southern culture, Southern cooking, and to really, you know, to, to see the joy of that and, and it bringing us all together. We had a lot of moments like that, you know, um, whenever we would go out to the West Coast, Dan, Dan Salamua's family was always there, usually generally in San Diego because they lived in California, but even in some of the other games that were just out West, you know, great, you know, sort of uh, Pacific Islands type foods and, you know, an, an idea like an, 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 an sort of the insight into their culture of the Polynesian culture and their fa and the family, the closeness of their family, uh, you know, the Aguiars, Danny Villa, you know, they would, uh, their families would bring, you know, some great sort of Mexican cuisine, you know, from that part of the world when we would go play in places like Phoenix or, you know, even Dallas, uh, you know, places out in Arizona or Cal Southern California or wherever people could get to, you know, it, it was just like, it was just really cool to, to have that kind of uh, exposure. And Neil, I always said was one of those players and he was so, he was such an accepting player. I mean, you know, he was always, always invite us over to his house to go spend time with him and his family. And, uh, you know, everybody was little buddy. Everybody was little buddy to Neil. Hey, little buddy. How you doing, little buddy? And like um, one of my favorite Neil, Neil stories, though, Jeff, has got to be when, when Nebraska and Penn played in the NCAA tournament in 1994. So in 1994, Penn played Nebraska in the first round of the NCAAs. Now, Penn on that team had two players that made a significant impact in the NBA. One was Jerome Allen and the other one was Matt Maloney, who ended up oh, yeah, really, sure. really having a great career with the Suns, mm -hmm. right? He was like Charles Barkley's, you know, dish man, right? He was always dishing to Charles. And um, we were playing, were, you know, It might have been the Rockets, Joe. It might have been, they might have been. Oh, they, the they, that's right. They were the, they were the, they were the Rockets, right? They weren't, the, that's right. They were the Rockets, Houston Rockets. So, 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 um, so, you know, I knew that Penn had a really good team, and I knew that they were much, much better than an 11 seed. But, but generally, the Ivy League, even if they win the league, even, even if they win the league, oh, yeah. they still don't seem to get that, like, upper seed, mm -hmm. right? Even, even when they have a team that even the prognosticators, a lot of them were calling for the 11-5 upset, and I knew it. I knew it. I knew they were going to win that game. So, Neil, we were in the weight room, and, and uh, he came up to me, and he said, hey, Joey. He said uh, – he called me Joey, little buddy, Joey. He says, uh, we're playing you guys in, in the NCAAs on uh, – on, it, it was either a Thursday or the Friday opening round. And he said, do you want to pull a little wager on that? And I said, absolutely, Neil. What do you want to do? He's like, how about 50 bucks? I said, all right, you're on 50 bucks. We put 50 bucks on the game, straight line, no, no favorite, no points or anything. And he says, uh, he, so he comes back in the weight room the day after the game, and he brings two 20s and a 10, slaps it down on the weight room table, and he's like, here you go. And he goes, I got to ask you, what the heck is a Quaker? And I said, <laughs> I said Neil, what are, you, what are you talking about? He goes, it's, I said, it's our mascot, you know? And he goes, I, I said, they were, I went and I started explaining to him, like they were the settlers in Pennsylvania back in the 1600s 1700s or whatever. And he goes, yeah, but, but like, I didn't, he goes, I thought you went to Penn state. So I was like, oh man, here we go again with the whole Penn state thing. I was like, oh yeah, you're big time in me, Neil, you know, Mr. Mr. Big 12, Nebraska, you know, big time in me. And, uh, you know, he said, yeah, he goes, I, now I just, got, now I'm going to be rooting for the university of Pennsylvania Quakers and not the Penn state Nittany lions. So he, you know, he was just so fun. He was so fun to be around. And, and, and we had that always shared that little, 
that little moment of uh, the eleven five upset when when Nebraska lost to Penn in the uh, in the NCAA's. That that's funny. He and Chris Dolman giving you, and like many others, giving you the Penn State Penn uh, jokes in there. Always. Um, and you know you're talking about his delicious food that he made. Well, that was getting me hungry. Uh, our our next sponsor is going to get me even more hungry because moink meat is so delicious. I love it, and you will too. Get moink right now. Why do just four companies control 80% of the U.S. meat industry? Because big food crushes the little guy. You can help change that with moinkbox.com. Why are 90% of the chickens served in the U.S. dipped in chlorine? Simple, because big food doesn't have the same quality standards as a family farm. That's why you need moinkbox.com. The best bacon, the best steak, the best chicken, and the best salmon you'll ever eat won't come from the grocery store. You'll only find it on the family farm and caught by independent Alaskan fishermen. That's why you need moinkbox.com. Join the moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash believe right now. And listeners to the show get free bacon for a year with every box work. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste. But for a limited time, spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash B-L-E-A-V. That's moink.com slash believe. Uh, Joe, you know, you gave us great insight there on what, what Neil was, uh, like as a, as a, as off the field, as a person and how nice a guy he was. He, he and Derek always talked about being like partners in crime. Were they as friendly and as close as they appeared to be to, to us fans? To, to be honest, Jeff, they were more, they wow. were more friendly and more close, I think, because they were, they truly were like brothers. I mean, they called each other, you know, little buddy. Well, Neil called everybody little buddy, but, you know, he always called Derek his little buddy. And, and they really, truly were like brothers um, on and off the field. Uh, you know, they were two incredibly generous souls. My, one of my favorite things to talk about, too, was when Derek and Neil used to dress up as Santa Claus on, on during the holidays, and they would go to, you know, whether it was a shelter or whether it was, you know, some place where there were, uh, you know, uh, you know, some, some type of an orphanage or whatever these, you know, the schools, you know, they would go into privileged areas and they were generous to a fault, Jeff. I mean, to the point where they just like, they weren't going in with, you know, bouncing balls and slinkies, you know, they're going in with, you know, gaming stations and, and, and big remote, control cars and just so generous with their time and their and their money and 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 just they were just two of the kindest people that that I think I've ever been around and when you teamed them up together it like it it blew up exponentially the amount of generosity when they were together because they almost like they were trying to outdo each other with their generosity um, which was so cool to see and it was so refreshing and they would invite us out to join them. And it just made you feel so good about what you were doing and, and the impact that they both had on, on the community. I mean, Neil's one of those players that you just, you just wish he would have retired in Kansas city. You know, it's, it's a shame that, you know, in the late nineties that it didn't, it didn't work out for him to stay there because I think it, 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 you know, even though it was only three short years that he was gone, you know, those, it was long enough that I think a lot of fans didn't, they didn't forget about Neil. He was a very hard player and person to forget. But you know, three years is a pretty long time to be away, and and especially to go to an AFC rival. 
and competitor. And he went on obviously to win a Super Bowl, which, you know, didn't make a lot of the Chiefs diehards, you know, real happy, um, you know, that he ultimately won, you know, won a Super Bowl with the Broncos, right? Because he would have been on one of those And teams even two that, Super Bowls, Joe. He was two, right. It just subtly takes away from from the fan base, right? Like that he went to a team – like I said, it was a bitter rival. They won Super Bowls. It was like, ah, oh, come on, Neil. Like it just, it would have been so cool if he could have been one of those players that played his whole, you know, 13, 14 years or whatever in, in Kansas City. That's a great point, Joe. And I think, because we're talking about a guy who had 85 and a half sacks with Chiefs over nine years. Just incredible. That's an incredible career. And I, I think by going to uh, to Denver, going to the rival, winning a ring, that's, that, that is part of the reason why he's, not as uh, is, is remembered as some of the other greats uh, that have played in Kansas City. And Joe, I mean, does that kind of, that's got to hit home for you. You, you nearly went to, the, uh, to the, the rival Broncos. Yeah, and, you know, it was 1994. Uh, I was an unrestricted free agent. And just my, just you know, three years, by the way, sorry to interrupt, just three years before uh, Neil would make that, that same move. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a tough, you know, it was a really tough decision because at the time, you know, the Broncos were, you know, Alex Gibbs, who was, who was my offensive, offensive line coach, um, you know, in, in, oh, sorry, I'm oh, sorry. It would have been, it would have been after the 94 season. I'm sorry. It was, it was before the 95 season. So it would have been the off season of 1994. Oh, so, you know, I, so I, I had two, you know, two years with, with Alex as my coach, offensive line coach who, who, you know, I adored. And I thought, you know, I, I still to this day think he's, if not the best, one of the best, not if not one of the best, or if not the best, one of the best offensive line coaches of the generation, right? When you when you look at the the, the decades that he spanned as a coach and the things that he did, and you know, it was it was very alluring to to to, to go there. But you know, the, the allure of Kansas City drew me back, and and what we were doing in the community and the way the community treated Jennifer and I, and and. Jennifer was teaching uh, fifth grade at the time and we just, we loved it. And it was, you know, even though it was tempting to, to go to a place where, you know, it, it maybe could have had a, a, maybe a little bit of a better opportunity to start, um, you know, the allure of Kansas city, you know, brought me back and, 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 and what we were doing in, you know, what, what we were building and, and go, you know, we go and have, you know, an unbelievable you know, couple of years there uh, after I came back and, you know, especially that 95 season where we, you know, had the, uh, the run that we did um, with getting home field throughout and, you know, the Steve Bono, uh, you know, just fantastic uh, run that we had after Joe retired. So, and, and, and going back to that too, you know, Jeff, as far as Neil, you know, and, and it wasn't even like he was just like a sack master, right? He had those averages of like, you know, we'll call it, you know, almost close to 10 sacks, you know, a year during that stretch, during those stretches, he was also, you know, he was in on 60, 70, 50 tackles a game. Like he wasn't, he wasn't or uh, uh, in the season, you know, he, he wasn't just one of those players who came in on third down and, you know, and just pass rushed. He was, he was an every down player who, who was a stalwart starter. I mean, you look at, at the number of games that he started during the stretch of his career, he missed very few games um, for injury and, and very few games, um, you know, where he wasn't, he wasn't a starter. I mean, he was always a, anywhere from a 13 to 16 game starter. So he was, he was stalwart and, and, and it is a shame. It's a shame that he doesn't go down in history with the Derek Thomases of the world. And ultimately what, 
you know, some of these, these great players that, that have their names kind of etched in, in uh, you know, on, on the ring of fame up there in Arrowhead. So, yeah, and maybe someday, you know, maybe someday people will look back and see that and, and really understand what an impact he had on the Chiefs in the 90s. Totally. And glad that we're, we're talking about Derek Thomas, too, because a lot of people obviously were thinking about July 4th here. Um, and during Independence Day, a lot of times we think about uh, the military and Thomas's life was so intertwined with the military, with his, his dad, uh, a pilot in Vietnam, um, having passed away there. And he was always so motivated whenever, uh, whenever he was mentioned, whenever they, whenever a plane would fly over Arrowhead during the anthem, that always, I feel like Derek Thomas always, always had his best game because he was thinking about his father who, who served. Oh, sure. You know, the, the patriotism that Derek uh, exuded was amazing, you know, and uh, always, you know, we always wanted to honor Derek's dad for the service that he had to the country and, you know, and, and, and how hard that must have been for, you know, for the Thomas family to, you know, to be widowed, you know, for his mom to be widowed like that. And, and then, and then to raise, you know, Derek and, and for him to come on and do what he did. You know, amazing stuff. And, and, and the, the, you know, the passion that, that Derek had for the military. And he would always bring in a lot of the pilots from Whitman Air Force Base. And I, I got to be honest, I think Derek was very instrumental in, in those, those stealth bomber flyovers, right. Mm-hmm. And, and the relationship he had with the folks at Whitman Air Force. And, uh, you know, he, he just was, you know, very, you know, this ha- had to have been a very special time in, 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 you know, during the calendar year, right. Of, of course, with all the other military holidays that we do have, Memorial Day and, and Veterans Day and, and all and all the great stuff that we do um, to remember our, our 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 heroes, but you know July Fourth obviously very patriotic day. I mean one of my favorite memories was was Derek singing the national anthem with Neil, Will Shields, uh, Vaughn Booker among some other players uh, singing in their uniforms, which was really cool. Uh, they sang they sang. Um, the national anthem during, during a game or two. And I think they actually recorded it at one point. Uh, I don't know if they were ever going to distribute it, but they were fantastic. Those guys had fantastic voices. And, and that was a really cool sort of patriotic moment that uh, the 4th of July always made when I match up the chiefs and, and the 4th of July. Uh, I always, and I always, I always do think too of, um, of, uh, of, of the, July always makes me think of, of Mr. Hunt and us having, um, taking us to worlds of fun and oceans of fun, uh, the amusement parks, the water park and the amusement park. Uh, he would basically shut down the parks for the day and have like a chief's family day before we would go away to training camp in July. So this kind of time, this kind of time of year always makes me think about, you know, getting ready for training camp and going to worlds of fun and oceans of fun and, you know, having free reign of the park with our families, uh, which was, which was really cool. But again, just another testament to the Hunt family and their generosity and, you know, trying to get all the families together before everybody went away onto our long, long jaunts to camp. (laughs) Cause when we were going to camp, the chiefs were going to camp back then during Marty ball, you know, it was was six weeks of isolation. We were, we were talking about how looking at the training camp schedule for the, 2021 Chiefs, a lot fewer two-a-days than, than you had, Joe. But um, going back to that, that's so cool that they all sang together um, the national anthem. How was how were Derek and Neil so they could sing too? Out of all the other things, they were great. They they had a good voice. 
they did both of them, all of them, Will, Vaughn, uh, yeah, Derek, Neil, fantastic voices. They sounded great. And it wasn't just a gimmicky thing. They, oh, Pella McDaniels, you know, God rest his soul. He was, he was, he was, one, he, was, the, he was the other player. What a renaissance man. He yes, was. he was. I'm sorry. Cause I was just picturing all the guys on our, our team that used uh-huh. to sing all the time. And it was funny because, you know, speaking of singing, I was just telling this story to my family um, when when we were uh, when we were dri- we were in the car driving and we were talking. The song "Lean on Me" came on, mm-hmm. and I can't not think of my our trip to Japan when we went to Tokyo in 1994. When I hear that song, because what happened was Jeff. So we we fly to Tokyo, right? So first, well, first of all, we we board in Kansas City. We fly to the West Coast. And then we we stopped over, and then real pretty brief stopover, and then we jumped we jumped on a Japan Airlines flight, and we flew to, to Tokyo. Jeff, it was like twenty some hours on planes. I think it was a sixteen hour flight just getting to Tokyo from from the West Coast. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, something very close to that. And we're jammed in these seats, right? We're all basically, you know, we're all basically in coach, mm-hmm. and. Um, because we flew commercial with, we just didn't, we didn't charter the plane when we went there. We flew with other passengers. Wow. So it wasn't like a typical flight. So there were other passengers on the plane. So we're flying to Japan, 16 hours, 20 some hours with all the, you know, different, um, you know, legs of the journey that we did from getting to Kansas to, and getting from Kansas City to California. And we get off, we're getting ready to onboard the plane or deboard the plane. And Coach Schottenheimer goes, okay, players, you get on buses one, two, three, and four, families who are going to the hotel. Because Jen, Jen accompanied, you know, we, we went together to Japan, and they, you, know, you were allowed to bring uh, you know, a guest with you. So, so Jen joined me on that trip. And they were like, family and, uh, you know, support staff and everybody, you get on buses five, six, seven, and eight because you're going to the hotel. And we're like, coach, coach where, where are we going? And I remember Neil – I remember Neil asking Coach Schottenheimer, like, where, where are we going? Because he and Derek were like the team spokespeople. Like, mm-hmm. they were always the ones that, like, they had Marty's ear. And and he's like, what do you mean we're, we're going to practice? And we were like, we're going to practice. We just flew 20 hours. We're going to practice. <laughs> because what happened was it was like by the time we got to Japan, it was like er- early to like late morning or maybe early afternoon. So the day – we had the whole day ahead of us, and Coach Schottenheimer had it in his head – that we were going to get there and get acclimated. I'm telling you, we go out, we go to the stadium, we get dressed in our in our grades. We were just doing a walkthrough. We weren't we weren't going to hit or anything. We were just yeah. going to stretch and do these walkthroughs. And I'm telling you, Jeff, guys were falling asleep while we were stretching, <laughs> literally on the field, falling asleep. So Neil and Derek look at each other, and I won't. I'll, well, maybe I'll try to sing it just to just 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 to just to uh, give everybody the flavor. So you know how "Lean on Me" starts, just like sometimes in our life we all have need. You know, so like there's so they start singing "Lean on Me," and it's like "Lean on Me," and they're going back and forth, and every so now all of a sudden everybody gets up because we like because basically the song you know is hey when you're in trouble you lean on each other right so basically neil and derek basically were telling marty that like we're all leaning on each other coach we shouldn't be out here 
So, so Coach Schottenheimer starts laughing. He goes, all right, guys, that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to get you out. I wanted to get you off the plane, wake you up. He goes, all right, let's everybody go back to the locker room, shower up, and we're going to head back to the hotel. And I'm telling you, it was hysterical. And every time I hear that song, I hear Neil and I hear Derek singing Lean On Me. And every time I hear the song, and it was, it was, it was, it was really strange. And then, oh, my God, another Neil Smith moment. We go to Mexico to play the Cowboys in Monterey, Mexico, preseason of 1996. Neil gets chosen out of the stands to go fight the bull. <laughs> they give him a matador's cloak, cape, and he goes out. I'm telling you, I thought Carl Peterson and Marty were going to jump over the wall and grab him because they did it. They he did it without them knowing. He literally was out there with a matador avoiding a bull, a grown bull. And I I I literally thought I thought Coach Schottenheimer and 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 and, and Carl Peterson were going to kill him. Because they like they're like Neil and like we're all laughing and Neil was literally doing the cape, doing the ole, and like dodging the bull. It was cra- it was crazy. If he had gotten man, if he had gotten oh, hurt, bullfighting. I'll never forget one of my favorite moments of Neil, because he and Marty they had a great relationship, but but he always liked to tease Marty and and Coach Schottenheimer, and I'll never forget, we were in, it was a training camp, and Marty, Coach Schottenheimer used to go over the, the rules. The, I mean, it was, he would spend an hour, because that was the way Marty was, right? You, you knew all the rules. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. There was no, you know, oh, I didn't know that, Coach. Sorry. You, when he, so he read us the season rules every training camp, and they were like three pages long. And one of the rules was when you flew on a plane – and we were traveling, you wore a collared shirt and no shorts. Okay. So that was the only, that was literally the only dress code we had. It had to have a collar and you couldn't wear shorts. And I'll never forget Neil says to coach Schottenheimer, he's like, coach, he goes, I like to wear these really fancy shirts and they're called banded collar shirts. And if, if anybody knows, they're kind of out of style now, but they were really popular back in the 90s. And they were, especially in some Western uh, uh, wear, you know, like, you know, Southwest uh, fashion or Western. Like a little bowl of tie, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'd have these banded collar shirts, but they were really nice. I mean, they were, they were nice shirts. They were dress shirts, but they just didn't have a flipped up collar like a polo shirt or, or a collared button down. And they had those, those banded collars. <laughs> He goes, he goes, coach, uh, Neil's like, uh, what about if I want to wear a banded collar? He's like raising his hand. He's like, oh, what if I want to wear a banded collar shirt? He's like, Neil, what's a banded collar? He goes, well, you know, coach, they're like those fancy shirts that like a lot of cowboys wear or like Western wear, you know, style. It's like, it's like a button that goes across your neck, but it's a band. And, and he's like, explain. so we go on for like 10 minutes like, trying to explain to Marty. And, and finally, he's just like, Neil, I don't give a damn what you wear. Just wear whatever you want. Just make sure it looks nice. It's like, <laughs> but Neil always had a way of like, you know, kind of like digging with Marty and like having good, good, vibrant, robust conversation with him. He's a neat, neat guy. Great guy. I'm so glad we dedicated an episode to Neil. Just, you know, get, get, let fans go out and do some Googling and do some YouTube video, uh, you know and look at some highlights of what a great player he was. And remember, as you're watching his unbelievable play out on the field, remember that he was even a better person. Joe, great stuff. Great insights into to not only Neil, but his, his relationship with Derek Thomas and Marty Schottenheimer. 
Well, if you enjoy this show presented by Bet Online, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.